Saint Simeon, the 10th century Byzantine mystic, once described the process of opening ourselves to God by using the image of a person in a darkened room on a pitch black night. Simeon describes this person coming to and opening the window just as there is a sudden flash of lightning. Terrified, the person turns away and closes their eyes. So it is, says Simeon, when the soul engaged with the realm of the senses comes and meets God. When the soul dares to peek out beyond the realm of the mind, so says Simeon, the soul becomes dazzled and overwhelmed by the brilliance of God. And thus retreats, retreats to reside among human and sensory things. Struck by the magnificence and the glory of God, our tendency is to retreat to the shadows of diversion and the shadows of distraction. But for Isaiah, it appears that no retreat is possible. For when Isaiah encounters God and is commissioned as a prophet, he is stuck. Isaiah's vision is not one of comfort or domesticity, but rather it is one of awe, one of terror. It is terror that is evoked as God meets Isaiah in the temple, a a vast, open, empty space. Terror in Isaiah's vision of God sitting on a throne high and lofty and so immense that only the hem of God's robe fills that vast space. It is terror when Isaiah is confronted by these seraphs attending to God. Seraphs, literally translated, means burning ones. These are not cute cherubic angels. This is not the angel on the front of your bulletin. (laughs) These are something more like monsters, perhaps serpentine in form, with six wings. And these seraphs, these monsters, they cover their eyes for fear of gazing upon God. And as they cry out, holy, 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 their cries cause the temple to shake as it fills with smoke, the smoke of God's presence. So it is no wonder that Isaiah feels terrified in God's presence. The whole experience is meant to overwhelm. It is meant to be terrifying. But it's also no wonder that in the face of this encounter, Isaiah feels unworthy. For in the light of God's presence, Isaiah is able to see his life and see the life of his community and people in all of its woeful brokenness. In the light of God's presence, Isaiah declares, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. In God's presence, Isaiah sees his need and his inadequacy, and it seems to him that no one would be capable of bearing witness to God's glory. But there is this familiar biblical twist, isn't there? God calls the unworthy one. 
My friend and mentor Harold Lewis used to say that God does not call the worthy. Rather, God makes, the worth, makes worthy the one who is called. And certainly that is the case here. As the coal is set to Isaiah's lips, Isaiah can respond to God's question of who will speak for God by pronouncing, here am I, send me. It is a a moving reversal. The God of glory, who reigns in majesty, who created the heavens and the earth, singles out Isaiah to be sent and to share a word with God's people. For obvious reasons, this text is often read at ordinations. For instance, it was read when our former children's formation director, Jennifer Pavia, was ordained to the priesthood just recently. So too, it was read at my ordination. And more than that, I have to admit that Isaiah's call also played a a pivotal role in my own discernment process as as I wrestled with what it meant for me to be called. I saw in Isaiah both my own sense of inadequacy, but also the deep desire to serve God and God's people. But what I couldn't hear back then, and what is most often not read at ordinations, is what God tells Isaiah to do. Did you hear what he said, what God said to Isaiah? God tells Isaiah to tell the people, keep listening, but don't comprehend. Keep looking but don't understand. Isaiah is to make the minds of the people dull and to shut off their senses. This this is God's judgment against them, that God responds to the people's hardness of heart by further hardening their hearts. The people's eyes and ears and hearts must fail. So, we are told, they will not turn toward God, and so that they will not be healed. What is this? (laughs) Aren't we to expect the exact opposite from a prophet? Doesn't God send prophets so that people will turn? So that they will be healed? Isn't that the whole point of a prophet? If it seems outlandish to us, then listen to Isaiah. He was just quaking in his boots at the sight of God. And now, now he's talking back. He says, how long, O Lord? And he asks with an incredulous voice, Isaiah's question is not really about length of time. It is a lament. It is a question reminiscent of the psalmist. It is a question reminiscent of Job. It is an expression of complaint. Isaiah is suggesting that God is being unfair, that God is being unjust. 
But God's response brings with it no comfort. God tells Isaiah that he is to proclaim his message until the cities are laid waste and the land lays empty. Isaiah is to proclaim this until the end, until all is gone, until all is left as nothing but a stump. Perhaps the call, the task set before Isaiah is the most terrifying part of Isaiah's whole encounter. And lest we think that this is is only an Old Testament thing, we should know that all four Gospels make reference to God's word here in relation to Jesus' own ministry. Keep looking, but don't comprehend. Keep listening, but don't understand. It is a terrifying prospect. But how much of our lives are defined by this dynamic? So much of our culture invites us to diversion or distraction. It invites us to see but to not really see. We are caught up in cycles that that numb our senses, in cycles that dull our minds. We are encouraged to chase after entertainment and infotainment. Chemical dependencies abound in our culture. And so, too, we are controlled by our nation's numbing dependence built into our economy, our militarism, our racist and and sexist and homophobic structures. We live in a society where the overwhelming scientific consensus tells us that we are hurtling towards environmental disaster, towards environmental collapse. Unless we radically change our lives and stop pumping carbon into our atmosphere, then my children and my yet-to-be-born grandchildren's lives are under profound threat by the choices that we make today. We face catastrophe. And yet, even though we all know this, we cannot comprehend, we cannot hear it, we cannot see it, even though it's staring us right in the face. I pray every day that we will turn and be healed. I find God's words to Isaiah so haunting. It is haunting that God responds to the people's hardness of heart by further hardening their hearts. It seems that God has given up on them, given them over to the negation for which they seem to long. And yet there is a paradox here, isn't there? For God seems to be commanding the people to do what they are, in fact, already doing. And the paradox is deeper than that, too. For To not see, one must first see. 
to, he, to not hear what Isaiah is called to proclaim, one must first actually hear it. To say, do not understand, do not comprehend, one must first understand and comprehend. We have a communication that is directed towards non-communication. Here is a prophet who is an anti-prophet. It seems God's prior straightforward communication has not worked. And so perhaps, perhaps God is communicating by negating communication. Isaiah's encounter with God might not leave us with much hope. Perhaps it is to us like a flash of lightning in the dead of night in that darkened room. Our hearts might want to close ourselves off to God's call to love and to serve and to be open. We might feel overwhelmed by the task at hand, by the depth of the brokenness. But here in this non-communication, God invites us to move from darkness to light, from shadow to reality. If we know Isaiah's story, then we know that this rejection is not the last word. Behind God's no is always God's yes. There is a destruction, but there is also, by the end of the book, a fragile restoration. There is a seed The holy seed is its stump, Isaiah tells us. There may be no easy healings, no cheap and easy grace. We are not given convenient and comfortable assurances. When Jesus bids Simon Peter to come and follow in this morning's gospel lesson, it is not a call to ease and bliss, but rather to difficulty and to strife. There is peace, but it is peace that must be won by walking the hard road of the cross. There is joy, but it is a joy that comes from vulnerability. Is it possible that God is trying to shake God's people awake? Is it possible that by rejecting, by negating, God is trying to bring to life? Can God make possible what is seemingly impossible? Can God bring life out of death? Amen.